Turn your Bibles, please, to Isaiah chapter 7. Isaiah 7, we're going to take a break from our series on Revelation uh, during the Christmas season here. We're going to be looking at the next several weeks at Christmas notes with Christmas, from Christmas carols. Uh, that is, notes or words that um, proclaim great Christmas truths. So uh, the first one's going to be Emmanuel. And uh, just tell you, the sermon notes were done very early in the week to meet uh, publication, and so they were quite ambitious, and we won't cover all that stuff. So uh, um, it's like, like your plate at Thanksgiving, you think you can eat all that? Turns out you can't. Uh, well, anyway, um, so when you see I skip over a few things, that's because I did. What an accident, okay? I deliberately skipped them. Uh, chapter 7, verse 1, this is the Word of God. In the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, son of Uzziah, king of Judah, Rezin, the king of Syria, and Pekah, the king of uh, the son of Remaliah, the king of Israel, came up to Jerusalem to wage war against it, but could not yet mount an attack against it. When the house of David was told, Syria is in league with Ephraim, the heart of Ahaz and the heart of his people shook as the trees of the forest shake before the wind. And the Lord said to Isaiah, Go out to meet Ahaz, you and Shear Jashub, your son at the end of the conduit of the upper pool on the highway to the washer's field. And say to him, be careful, be quiet, do not fear, and do not let your heart be faint because of these two smoldering stumps of firebrands, at the fierce anger of Rezin and Syria and the son of Remaliah. Because Syria, with Ephraim and the son of Remaliah, has devised evil against you, saying, let us go up against Judah and terrify it. Let us conquer it for ourselves and set up the son of Tobiel as king in the midst of it. Thus says the Lord God, It shall not stand and it shall not come to pass. For the head of Syria is Damascus, that of Damascus is reason. And within 65 years, Ephraim be shattered from being a people. And the head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is the son of Remaliah. If you are not firm in your faith, you will not be firm at all. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz. Ask a sign of the Lord your God, that it be deep as Sheol or as high as heaven. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, and I will not put the Lord to the test. And he said, Hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary men that you should give weary my God also? Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. And then join me. The grass withers. The flowers fade, but the word of our God will stand forever. All right, let's pray. Father, we're so glad this morning that indeed your word is true and that it's certain and that it stands. So we'd ask, Father, for your spirit's help to grasp uh, what you're saying to us, Father, uh, through Emmanuel. Lord, how it applies to our lives here and now. Uh, and this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, to borrow a rather famous line to start with, uh, it was the best of times and it was the worst of times. The 8th century had been a time of great economic prosperity uh, for Israel and Judah. But spiritually, uh, the people were in rebellion against God. So it was a lot like things are today. The international scene was changing. The Syrians had been the main empire uh, and now they were giving way to the Assyrians from modern-day Iraq. Um, Israel and Judah were no longer prominent nations from a human global point of view. They were there pretty much to just get kicked around uh, by the empires of the day. And so that's the world Isaiah was born into uh, during the reign of King Uzziah there in Judah. 
And Isaiah ministered for 50 years through the reigns of Ahaz, Jotham, Hezekiah, and into the reign of Manasseh. Now, in the year King Uzziah died, that would be probably 740 B.C., Isaiah went to the temple to worship. And he received a vision from God, and it was Jesus. We learn that in John chapter 12. And say, he said, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings, with two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. Well, how did Isaiah respond to that? His immediate reaction was, Woe is me, for I'm lost. I'm a man of unclean lips. I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the king the Lord of hosts. And that's when God calls him to be a prophet, uh, to take God's covenant and then show the people where they did not measure up uh, what their sin was, but also, particularly today for us to see, to point them to the promises of the covenant, especially the promised Messiah. Now here was the catch, uh, if you will. God told Isaiah, you're going to preach, but people are not going to listen to what you say. They're going to ignore your message. Uh, he was going to encounter a mindset of real self-satisfaction because of their prosperity uh, so that uh, they're just going through the motions when it comes to God and worship. In fact, God will tell him, this people draw near with their mouth and honor me with their lips while their hearts are far from me. In fact, God put it this way. The ox knows its owner. The donkey, its master's crib. But Israel does not know. My people do not understand. Ah, sinful nation. That's an indictment. That bite of fruit back in the garden has had a devastating impact. But God incredibly makes an offer. He says, come now, let's reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they should be as white as snow. Though they're red like crimson... They shall become like wool. And the question is, how's God going to do that? Uh, and that, friends, brings us to the story of Christmas. God sending Messiah to save his people from their sins. From the beginning, God gave glimpses of how this would take place, how he would save his people. The very first promise of Messiah went to Adam and Eve in the garden. And so people waited. Enoch, Noah, Job. They all waited. Then came Abraham. And God promised a child to the family of Abraham who would be a blessing to the whole world. Uh, he told Moses he would raise up a prophet from his people. Uh, he told David that he would have a descendant, a king who would sit on the throne of Israel forever. And so the people, as they watched for Messiah, looked for a baby, they looked for a prophet, they looked for a king. And they waited. And so over a 50-year period, God gives glimpses uh, of Messiah, uh, glimpses of what we're going to sing about when we respond to God's Word today. Uh, he created a, a watchful expectation because God's people watched and they waited and they anticipated the long-promised intervention in time and space through Emmanuel. 
As God's people watched God fulfill His word over the years, the promises He made to people like Noah, to people like Abraham and Sarah, uh, promises they could see God kept, then their hope, their trust was built. And we have the same promises from God. And so what we're waiting for really is Christmas. Uh, we're waiting for Jesus to come again. And each year, every year we have a rehearsal. We practice. We practice as we celebrate Christ's first coming and as we anticipate His second coming. Um, we need to practice because, well, waiting's not a strong suit, all right, of, uh, of us as a people. Um, we're, we're very much, this is the moment, do it now mentality. But God wants us to learn to wait, uh, to wait on Him, to trust Him. Uh, and so we wait. And so we sing carols. We sing Christmas carols of hope. Uh, and we pray, come, O oh come, Emmanuel. So what is our first Christmas note we're going to look at? It's going to be Emmanuel. So let's look at our text. Start with uh, Emmanuel's virgin birth. Uh, and here's the question we want to think about. How could God's Messiah, who was so awesome uh, as, as Isaiah des describes for us, ever make himself known to a sinful people without overwhelming them uh, with his glory and with his splendor and with his majesty? And yet at the same time, we realize we live among people who've lost any sort of sense of the awe and majesty and respectful fear when it comes to God. Uh, we, we see it in people's behavior. We see it when they ignore God's word. We see it in the hatred people express. So how's God going to work that out? Uh, a coming Messiah that will neither overwhelm us with his majesty nor let us ignore His glory and majesty. You've got to keep that tension in mind. And so in chapter 7, it's about 734 B.C., and King Ahaz and Judah are in a tight spot. The army has just, we read, repelled an attack from the north, an alliance between Syria and Israel called Ephraim here, the northern kingdom. Uh, meanwhile, on the southeast side, the people of Edom who've been under Judah's domination since the days of David, they're rebelling against that. On the west side, the Philistines, who've been under uh, the, the domination of, of, Israel, of Judah since the time of David, they're rebelling as well. And Ahaz senses the seriousness. He's surrounded by enemies. What he does not seem to understand is that he is the one who's brought this on Judah because of his own wickedness. And the nations followed him. In fact, in Second Chronicles we read, The Lord had humbled Judah because of Ahaz, for he had prompted wickedness in Judah and not been faithful to the Lord. And so as Ahaz and his advisors looked for a solution, they decided the best thing to do was to try to get in contact with Tiglath-Pileser, the king of Assyria, because that was the growing world power. And then they would pay the Assyrians to come to his rescue. Now, that's the strategy that Isaiah is opposed to. Uh, he knew that the way out of any predicament was not to try to get help from, uh, from pagans, not to put trust in earthly, worldly power, but instead to turn and trust the Lord, the covenant God, to deliver them. So Isaiah 
confronts Ahaz. And he tries to uh, uh, assure him that if he'll simply change his ways, if he'll just put his trust in God, uh, then God will protect Judah, and God will take care of the whole matter. In fact, God told Ahaz that within 65 years, Israel would not be a nation anymore, and the Assyrian threat would be gone too. Uh, But if he would not trust God, disaster lay ahead for him and the nation. So Isaiah said, what bluntly? If you don't stand firm in your faith, you're not going to stand at all. And so God knows Ahaz has weak faith. Ahaz really has no faith at all. Uh, And so God does something unusual. He tells, he says, Isaiah, encourage him to ask for a sign. Ask for a guarantee that I will keep my word. Um, but Ahaz suddenly pretends to be very pious. You've got to love this guy. Um, he refuses to ask. He says, what? I want not ask. You know, if I'm not going to put the Lord to the test. Well, I don't need to do that. I'm such a strong believer in God. Uh, so even though he's commanded by God to do it, he will not do it. Ahaz was a committed rebel. He wanted to follow his own plan, not God's. So what did Solomon say? There's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to death. Well, that applies to this. Uh, So it always gets us in trouble. Ever has since the Garden of Eden. We simply do not believe God's Word. We don't trust His Word that He will take care of things. Now for Ahaz, the reality is, is he does not want to believe God's Word. Uh, he, He does not care whether or not God gives him a sign about the proof of his word. Because he believes he can handle everything all by himself. But God gives him a sign anyway. The virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Now I suspect at that point Ahaz is, is glaring back at Isaiah and he's thinking my whole world is falling down around me and his solution that a virgin is going to have a baby? You know, how, how does that solve this, this, this problem being circled by our enemies? Come on, man. Well, that's when Isaiah continues. And he says that the sign will be the deliverance from Syria and Israel. But ultimately, judgment on Judah. That the very Syrians that he's pursuing a relationship with will come after him with a vengeance. But it's also a sign of hope that calls us for trust and waiting. Because a baby's going to be born to a virgin. And the baby will be called Emmanuel. And that means God with us. So we have 700 years before the actual event. Isaiah predicts a virgin will give birth to a son. We'll call him Emmanuel, meaning God with us. And our minds immediately jump to, to Joseph's dream uh, about Mary, uh, that the angel gave him, uh, that she'd be with child by the Holy Spirit, and then did the child would be called Emmanuel. But I imagine at this point Isaiah could not figure out who and, and how this child would be. So he's got more to see. And so Emmanuel, uh, we find out, really is a child. Go down to verse chapter 9, verse 6, turn over to 9, 6 if you will. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, 
And the government will be, upon his, will be on his shoulders. And he'll be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord will accomplish this. Alright, so we're to look for a child who is born, a son who's given. Alright, now what's that mean? A child is born, well, that one's easy to figure out. All babies are born. Alright, I could just, I can, without going into details, all babies are born. Um, and, uh, but what does it mean when it says a son is given? That means something a little bit more, it seems. Because you notice, this child, this baby, this human baby is also God. He's Emmanuel. He's God with us. He's wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. And we contemplate those titles. For people who have lost their way, spiritually speaking, people who do not know any longer how to live in God's world, this baby is a wonderful counselor. He gives direction. He gives leading. For people who suffer under oppression, for people whose lives have, have spun out of control, for people who feel helpless, this baby's the mighty God. To those who feel lost and abandoned in this world, those who think nobody cares about me, no one's concerned about me, I mean, this baby's the everlasting father. And in a world torn apart by war and strife and hatred and prejudice, a world where people are alienated from each other and from God, this child is the Prince of Peace. In a world where leaders like Ahaz and our leaders truly have lost their way, the government rests on the shoulder of this baby. In a world where at times there seems like there's so little justice, this one guarantees eternal justice. Now remember, when God showed Isaiah Jesus, he was absolutely overwhelmed. So God plans a way not to be so overwhelming. Yet, without people losing a sense of their wonder and of awe and of the majesty of God. See what God did? He comes as a baby. A tiny baby. The baby that the shepherds saw that night in Bethlehem, cradled in the arms of Mary, is the exact same one Isaiah saw, seated on the throne in the temple, in all his wonder and splendor and glory. So with a virgin birth of a child, who is fully God and fully human, not only does God not overwhelm us by coming as a baby, but He increases our wonder and our awe by the very way He did it, by being born to a virgin. And we just sang about that with joy having dawned. Say, so well, how can all this be? How can Messiah Jesus be born to a virgin? How can He be God? How can, how can we know He's going to establish a kingdom? That's where those last words we read come in. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. For people who doubt Israel's future, 
there's a confirmation that God will carry this through. The people can count on that. They can trust God. And yet they've got to wait in time and space history. And what God wants us to do is trust. Trust Him. Even when at times that trust seems to stretch our, our limited human minds. A virgin birth, a child who's God. Those concepts call for faith. They call for taking God at His Word. They call for daily trust, day by day by day. That's why when Jesus Messiah says that He's coming again to make His kingship and His kingdom visible to the whole world, then friends, we believe that promise. Uh, And we need to live our lives with watchful expectation, waiting for Him to come. Keep in mind, from the time Isaiah spoke those words concerning this child till he was born, that was 700 years. And that's a long time. Then let's look at Emmanuel as stump and spirit. So Isaiah's got a great word picture for us. He's looking out, it was what once just a magnificent forest, uh, as far as the eyes could see. But now he looks and every single tree has been cut down. All right, uh, all that's left are the stumps. Now, what's that a picture of? Well, remember Ahaz's trust. Uh, what he was waiting for was was Assyria, and this is a picture of how that trust in Assyria is going to work out. You see, Assyria became the destroyer of the northern kingdom of Israel, but God shows us what was going to happen to Assyria. Back in Isaiah 10, verses 33 and 34. Behold, the Lord God of hosts will lop the bows with terrifying power. The great in height will be hewn down and the lofty will be brought low. He will cut down the thickets of the forest with an axe and Lebanon will fall by the majestic one. All right, to make a long story short, God says because of Assyria's pride, their arrogance, their delight in destroying the nations, uh, and particularly destroying Israel, then God's going to judge them. He's going to cut them down. There'll be nothing but stumps left. Everywhere stumps. The very people Ahaz wants to put his trust in will become a forest of stumps, not forest gump, okay? Make sure you, you heard that right. So, it looks bad all the way around. Judgment on everybody, Israel, Assyria, Ahaz, Judah. And that's the setup for chapter 11. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. Now Isaiah's audience would recognize Jesse immediately. That's, that was David's father. So he turns on an image of a stump that represents Jesse. Well, suddenly... Surprisingly, have a shoot, have a branch that comes up uh, uh, from, from him. The picture is that someday, God's going to raise up a king from the line of David when everything would appear to be dead and, and, and hopeless. At that point, things are bad for Ahaz. It's going to become worse. The northern kingdom will be carried away in exile. And then the southern kingdom will be carried away. But 70 years later, a remnant will return. 
But still, the people will have to wait. But Isaiah assures them that this coming king is worth waiting for. Verse 2, And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see, or decide disputes by what his ears hear. I mean, we've got a son of David who's going to out-David David, if you will. All right? This coming son, uh, king, is everything Ahaz is not. He's going to be Israel's strength and help and consolation. He'll have wisdom and understanding. He'll have counsel to give people. His knowledge, he has the fear of the Lord. He's going to know God. And he's going to be in awe of God. Going to delight in the reverence of God. He's going to want to serve God. And that, that helps us learn about waiting. When Ahaz was looking for help, he, he looked for what was immediately at hand. So he looks to the world, the most worldly instrument of his day, Assyria. He placed his trust in Assyria's help and he waited on them. But see, God doesn't want us to do things the way the world does. God wanted His people to keep trusting that He would send Messiah, even when it just seemed a long way off from a human perspective. But our trust, our hope, should be in the promises of God, even when all we see is a stump. Cling to God's promise, especially His promise to deal with our sin and make us as white as snow. His promise to come as Emmanuel. I mean, that's the whole point of Isaiah 53. For he grew up before him like a young plant, and like a root out of dry ground. He had no former majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should desire him. When Jesus came, he did not look like much to many. But the reality is, he came to die for us. To die for us, he had to be sinless. To be sinless, he had to be born of a virgin. But to die in our place, He also had to be God. He had to be Emmanuel, God with us, fully God, fully human. So there on the cross, He was bruised for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquity. The punishment that brought us peace was upon Him. The visible kingdom He's supposed to establish is very slowly taking place. Friends, it's growing just one heart at a time all around the world, as God brings His people from death to life through faith in Emmanuel, God with us. So what about us? Uh, Right now, we're waiting for Emmanuel to come again. That's our Christmas. And when He comes, all of God's remaining promises will be complete. They will be true. So I'm encouraged about something. As we wait... We need to read God's Word. And we always need to be look out, uh, looking out for passages of Scripture that tell us about the coming Messiah uh, and His kingdom. We need to be encouraged about all the promises already fulfilled in Jesus coming the first time in Bethlehem. That Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. And then as we see those fulfilled promises, may they remind us God always keeps His promises. In fact, our task today is the same as the task was back in the 8th century B.C. 
Trust God and wait for Him to come. And that's really what our closing hymn, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, ties in with here this morning. Uh, It's a hymn that explores very rich images of Emmanuel, of Jesus, that are mined from various parts of God's Word, mostly Isaiah, but not totally. Um, uh, We've looked at some of them this morning. The thing you need to know is God's people have been singing the, the core words of this carol since the 8th century A.D. And the form we sing it in actually dates back to the 12th century. Uh, it was not translated from Latin into English till the 19th century. So these are words God's people have been singing a very, very long time. Uh, and like those before us, uh, we will be singing that we mourn in lonely exile here. And for example, what we have to remember is we are exiles. We're not home. If you want to fit in here, I've got bad news. We never will. This is not our home. Eternity with Jesus is. And we're not going to be home until Jesus comes again. And so we wait. And that's the great thing about Christmas. It teaches us to wait in expectation. So our prayer today is really the same as our prayer has been as we've studied Revelation. It was our prayer last Sunday we sang at the, at the end of the service from Come You Thankful People Come. Um, and it's what we pray today. Uh, the hope uh, of the words that Isaiah gives us. We pray, come, O come, Emmanuel. You know, I don't know what's on your Christmas gift list this year. Um, if you got it all in, better hurry. Shipping's going to be bad. That's right. You might be too late. I don't know. Um, uh, but I'm praying for my, my gift that God would make Jesus coming, the hope of Emmanuel, really the longing of my heart, what I want the most. Because Isaiah's word tells us this. For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth. And the former things shall not be remembered or come to mind. He will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away tears from all faces. He will remove all uh, His people's disgrace from all the earth. The Lord has spoken. Amen. Come, O come, Emmanuel. Let's pray. Our gracious God, We thank you for the promise of Emmanuel, of God with us. Uh, Father of, yes, a tiny baby, uh, who is also the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. So, Father, it's, it's hard to really grasp that, how it all works out, but, Father, your word tells us Uh, That Emmanuel, Jesus, God with us, is fully God and fully human, so he can be the sacrifice for our sins on the cross, so that we can be your people forever. So, Father, make that our expectation, Lord, our desire that Christ would quickly come. Father, is anybody here without that hope today that you will draw them, uh, Father, to that uh, desire, that relationship with you through your Son, Jesus Christ? And this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.